Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Exploring Revelation podcast. I have some uh, good news uh, to report uh, today. First of all, uh, starting off, I just want to apologize for the video. Last week, if if some of you watched it on video, uh, the video recording was, was, was horrible, and that's how I recorded it. So, and I I didn't go back and, and redo it. Um, so sorry about that. I'm going to fix that this week. Uh, actually, we're going to do things a little bit different. So we're putting the podcast out in, in audio format. Uh, and you can, at this point, you should be able to find uh, this podcast about anywhere you want to get your podcast. It's on uh, Google platform. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, you know, so really wherever you get your, your podcast, you should be able to find this. Uh, if you want to, if you want to watch it, uh, if you like doing that, uh, and looking at, at me, uh, then you can, uh, go to our YouTube page and, and find it there. And, uh, you can find the YouTube page from our church website. Uh, that's BethelMBChurch.org. You can go there and, and look under the media and you should be able to find, uh, a link to that. So we don't have a dedicated uh, website for, for this podcast. Uh, haven't decided if I'm going to do that or, or not. Uh, but certainly uh, that, that's good news, right? You can, you can find it anywhere uh, and people can, uh, people can, can share uh, whatever platform they, they want uh, with other people. And so if you, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, just want to, let you know, just write a review, share it with your friends. Uh, we, we like that. So let's get, let's get right to it. So we don't, uh, waste, uh, I don't want to waste your time. So I, I have a book on my shelf and it's by a, a guy by the name of, of Bertrand Russell it, And the title of the book is why I'm not a Christian. And, and I hope somebody doesn't come and, and look at that title on, on my shelf and make assumptions about me, or, or I hope at least they would take time to look at the, the great many other volumes that surround that one that point to the fact that I am indeed a, a Christian. But the, the reason I have that book on my shelf is, is in doing research for my uh, thesis, doing in, in uh, my master's thesis, um, this book kept coming up. It, it turns out that Russell was a, a where, very well thought of uh, British philosopher. He had a, a great problem with uh, religion and war. Uh, he focused his attention on, on Christianity when it came to, to religion. He believed that religion was not only untrue, but it was really unhelpful and he believed that that religion, in particular Christianity, uh, was actually very harmful. And uh, that's that's the reason he, he wrote this short the, this book, uh, "Why I'm Not a Christian." In any case, Russell takes Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels and just puts some of him uh, his other objections to to the Christian faith aside, and says if if one just looks at the Gospels, uh, they see some things that are they're not very wise concerning Jesus. For instance, he says that Jesus believed that his second coming would happen on the clouds of glory before the the death of the people that were living at that time. Now, just step back from all of this for a moment and think about what Russell is, is saying here. He's saying that Jesus is not credible. He is 
a false prophet because he believed, uh, he prophesied that his second coming would be within the lifetime of those who heard him speak. Now, the, the question is, why would he think that? I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're familiar with the scriptures. Now, now how many of you in, in reading the gospel accounts of Jesus's ministry actually questioned Jesus's credibility on the ground that he was a false prophet concerning his second coming? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had a lot of interaction with the gospels over the years, and this objection was really foreign to me. I, I think the, the irony here is one of the, the things that, that I thought was so fascinating about the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' life and death was how much prophecy was actually fulfilled in Christ that he actually was a, a true prophet because he fulfilled, fulfilled prophecy. So, well, Russell's pointing out that Jesus failed to, to, to come again when he said he would, and therefore he should be dismissed. I, as well as a, a great many others, I suppose, uh, focused my attention on the fulfilled prophecy, not the apparent lack of. Now, of course, there's a great many prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ from where he was born to that he would be born of a, a virgin, that his bones wouldn't be broken, uh, that his body wouldn't see decay, just to, to name a few. But, but even though there is this fulfilled prophecy in the, in the life and, and death of Jesus, and it does add credibility to the, to the gospel accounts, we still need to take a step back here and and say, is there anything to, to what Bertrand Russell is saying? At least we have to deal with uh, his ob- objection here. You know, why would he say that he believed that Jesus thought that his second coming would be in the, the life of those hearing him? It, it's the answer to this question, that, that, and that's the reason that Russell kept coming up in my research. So I, I bought the book because I, I wanted to, to read uh, his case for myself. And anyway, Russell went to, on to, to use uh, Jesus's own words. For instance, uh, just listen to, to these, uh, these texts. In, in Matthew 10, 23, and I'll, I'll read that in, in context. And I, I think you're going to see Russell's point right off the bat. So in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is preparing to, to send out the 12, right, to the lost sheep of Israel. And in verse 7, we read, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Then Jesus switches gears a little as he speaks to the the 12 in preparation of them going, starting in in verse 16, he says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will devour you over, they will deliver you over to the courts and, and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Jesus goes on uh, to that they will be hated on the account of Jesus. And he tells them this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So for, for Russell, this is absolutely clear that the context of Jesus' words are, are to the 12 disciples, that he's talking to these 12 and he's preparing them to be sent out into the world, into Israel. And Jesus is saying that as they preach in one place, they're going to be persecuted. Not other people, but, but them. And they're going to be forced to leave that city and, and go to the next and, and preach and, and heal the sick and, and do all of these things in, in these cities. And he's telling them, you will not even get through all of the cities of Israel before the second coming happens. That, that's, what, that's how Russell takes this. At least we must admit that, that Jesus is attaching a, a time frame to what he's saying to the disciples. Whatever Jesus meant by that statement, it was something that was going to happen in their lifetimes. A couple chapters later, in, in Matthew chapter 16, we read of, of Peter's confession of Christ, and then we have Jesus speak of the, the cost of discipleship. I'll start reading in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, this passage, I think, makes Russell's point even more than the, the last, for, for us anyway. When Jesus speaks of coming with his angels in the glory of his father, we automatically think second coming. And then Jesus attaches the, the time frame to this event. And if we don't skip over that, if we actually take that time frame and, and put it next to those statements, it, it kind of throws us for a loop. It says that there are some that are listening to him who will not die until this happens. For Russell, this proves that Jesus was wrong. He was a, a false prophet. His credibility was lost. We ought to dismiss him. His second coming didn't happen when it said it would. Therefore, uh, why should you trust anything else that he says? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, in the middle of the Olivet Discourse, a verse we mentioned last time when we were talking about the, the date of the book of Revelation. In fact, that's why I decided to do this, this podcast, just concerning the, the time frame references, because uh, that really went into the, the dating of, of the book, and we, we mentioned this text. Um, here we, we see something very similar to what we've already seen. In, in verse 31, we read of the, the Lord sending out his angels with a, a loud trumpet call, and then they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the, the end of uh, heaven to, to one end from the heaven to the other. Uh, then one reads that, that particular verse, and, and really most of, of the chapter, they, they assume are that the events spoken of here have not taken place, 
that this is a, a reference to a, a future second coming of Jesus. Now, the point that I'm trying to make here is that when one takes that text, you know, the, the, the coming of, of Jesus and gathering his elect and, and those things, and you, and you speak of them as the, the second coming, and in our minds, those things haven't happened. And then you, you get down to verse 34, and, and you read, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. And the question for any interpreter of the, of the passage and, and what they need to wrestle with here is what are these things referenced in that verse? For, for instance, if, if one is working through Matthew 24 and understanding it be a, a reference to the future coming of Jesus, then what do you do when you get to verse 34 and it speaks of this generation? Uh, John MacArthur, uh, for instance, who I, I trust and I, I greatly admire and I uh, I, I appreciate his handling of the, of the scriptures. He sees this as a this 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 generation here as a reference to a future generation that will be living at the return of Christ. I, I don't see how. I don't know about you, but that just interpretation just does not pass the sniff test. There's no way that Jesus's hearers would have understood that statement to this generation to be a reference to a future generation, especially if you couple it with this text with the other time frame references in the New Testament, some of which we've, we've already mentioned. But if you go outside the Gospels, you even get other time frame references. Listen to, to James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand right? It's at hand. It's near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So, so twice there in that text, Jesus, you know, James is speaking there to the, the people that he's writing to say, you need to be ready for this. Um, and James is quite possibly the, the earliest New Testament book written, perhaps even written in the late 40s. And, and here he's He's telling his readers to be patient because the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. But, but James isn't the only one that speaks this way. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, we read, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. <laughs> isn't that a strange thing for Peter to say that the end of all things is at hand? What does he mean by all things? Is it possible that the phrase at hand could be something besides near? Uh, were these authors wrong in, in their thinking? Did they assume something to be near that really wasn't? And, and is that a credibility issue or not? I, I think as faithful Christians who come to the text of Scripture, we can't just ignore these passages. And I think largely that's really that really is, is what has been done when it comes to these uh, time frame references in the, the New Testament. I think they're they're hard, so we, we've, we've skipped them. In the book of Revelation, in the first verse, we see a, a time frame reference. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. I know that when we read the books of the Bible, we often scurry right past the, the opening verse to get to the, the meat of the text. But, but I think it's really important as we seek to, to understand this book 
if we're going to truly explore the book of Revelation, then we can't just read our own understanding into the book and speculate about the meaning of things and all the while ignore the fact that the first line of the book says that these things must soon take place. We need to, we need to come to some kind of understanding of what that means. And I'll just add here that what the, the first verse is, is saying is that the, the revelation of, of Jesus shows, right? The revelation that Jesus is giving shows what is soon going to take place. This isn't John's opinion here, right? The, these other writers in the, in the New Testament, maybe they just had an opinion. Maybe they thought uh, things were going to, to take place soon and they weren't. And, and we could just kind of chalk that up to, to them misunderstanding things. But, but this, is, this is not John's opinion here. This is the purpose of, of the book, of the revelation itself. I, I don't know about you, but I think the, the current prophetic experts out there have taken these, I mean, they, they have not taken these passages seriously. In fact, I would suggest that these passages are, are largely ignored. But what we want to do is when we explore this book, we want to make sure that, that our interpretation of, of the passages and the events that, that follow in, in the book of Revelation, because, right, it is, it is unique, it is difficult. They need to square with some of these uh, statements in the book itself and in, in the New Testament. we got to make sure that we're talking about the same things that the authors are, are talking about. You know, when, when John here uh, reiterates in, in verse 3 of, of chapter 1 that the time is, is near, that needs to make sense for those in the first century reading the book. Now, let me just reiterate something. I, I said this before. I'm going to say it again because it's just so uh, important that, that you understand this and, and where I'm coming from. Uh, first, uh, the book needs to make sense for those who are first reading it. We, we've been making this case. I, I think we've made it in every episode so far. Uh, I'll say also that, that some have taken things way too far at this point as well. Let me draw your attention to another book that's on my shelf. This book is by uh, a guy by the name of John Noe. No, uh, I'm not sure. N-O-E. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I'll call it John No. Uh, it's called uh, Beyond the End Times. It was written several years ago. Uh, it was it was actually a book that was named um, in the the top millennial book awards in, in Christianity today. Uh, so it was it was pretty famous. Uh, an evangelist by the name of John Bray, you might have heard of him. Uh, he said this book was destined to become a, a classic. I, I think that the book is extremely interesting. It highlights some really valid points that, that many so-called prophecy experts just flat out miss or ignore, right? Like the, the time frame references here, that's one of his big points. But the, prom- the, the problem with, with Noah's theology in, in trying to, to highlight some of these things like the time frame references is that he believes that these time frame references refer to everything on the prophetic clock. So he, he would say that, that Jesus' second coming, according to, to him, right? Jesus' second coming has already taken place, and that happened in, in AD 70. It sounds absolutely crazy. I know he actually does a, a decent job of of trying to, to make that make sense and what our lives are all about now after the, the fact. Um, he's definitely a, a conservative scholar. He takes the Bible a very serious um, 
and I, and I do appreciate that about him, but he just, he just goes uh, too far uh, right off the, the edge of, into to heresy. I, I would say, I mean, he's not denying the second coming. He's saying it already happened, but, but I think that's just, I think that's just too far. And I, I think it, it misunderstands and it doesn't square with redemptive history. It doesn't square with uh, the, the Bible and, and how these things uh, all come about. But the, the point we need to make here that without going too far off the, the ledge into, into heresy, it's possible, though, that a majority of the, the events spoken of in the book of Revelation and in other parts of, of Scripture concern the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, and, and, and that does square with uh, both the, the dating of the book and it squares with all these time frame references that we that we find. You know, I want to be clear. We're still waiting for the return of, of Christ. Um, you know, 8070 wasn't the end all of everything, uh, but it is. It, it was a big deal. Uh, it, it was something that major thing that was coming um, right on the heels of of the the writing of of the New Testament books, and it, it would be strange if the New Testament writers didn't speak of those things and, and didn't talk about those things. I mean, this is the this is the the temple that was destroyed. I mean, the the, the whole system of of sacrifices came to a, a an abrupt halt when uh, that when that city was was sacked by. Uh, the, the Romans. So it, it was such an important event. So anyway, this, this is a short discussion of the time frame references in the New Testament. I, I hope it really uh, helps you. I hope that you start noticing these things in your own personal reading. And, you know, when I started noticing uh, these time stamp references, it, it had a, it had a profound impact on my own personal study. I started looking into these passages that I've just been skipping over before and, and, and trying not to, you know, to deal with, with some of the hard things. And, and you kind of go back and you're like, okay, what in the world this is talking about? How is, how does this make sense? And really that's one of the things that we want to do in this podcast is, is make sense of, of these time frame references. I, I don't think they should be uh, confusing. I think that it, it makes tremendous sense that, uh, that Jesus and, and the other New Testament writer, you know, Jesus would would talk about in the Gospels this this event in in eighty seventy when it was coming because it was such a, a huge event that would just change everything uh, from from going forward. So uh, it, it makes sense that it fits in there, and and we just need to kind of discern how and how these things fit. I mean, we have a lot of we have a lot of work to do. It's not just enough to say, okay, you have these time frame references that say this must soon take place. So it has to refer to the, the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, the destruction of Jerusalem has to fit. Uh, and I think that's one of the things here that the guys like Bertrand Russell, they just overlook. They just, they just make an assumption coming to the text that Matthew 24, for instance, is, is talking about uh, the, the second coming of, of Christ, that everybody thinks that. When actually the, the context to the passage itself is the destruction of the temple. When you go back and read it, that's how the whole conversation starts, and uh, we just need to we just need to make sense of that. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for getting this far in the podcast, and as we explore Revelation together, uh, just want to reiterate: uh, you should be able to find us on on pretty much any podcast platform that you like, and. 
if you like it, uh, share it with share it with your friends. And until next time, have a great day. <laughs>